with summer transitioning to fall then winter. Although many persons have been trying to forget it, it's time to put community viruses back onto our personal health radar screens. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. Without mask-wearing mandates and regular nightly news reporting, we like to think Omicron BA5 is in our rearview mirror. However, the infectious disease still kills nearly 400 persons a day across America. So, to keep from being one of those statistics, we'll be sharing info on how to get your new booster shots. Coupled with BA5, the monkeypox cases are on the rise and entering the picture. Although nowhere near as lethal as Omicron, it can make one look like a walking health medical basket case. Then, add to this BA5 monkeypox combination, it's also flu season again. Yep, its seasonal health profile may be lower in visibility. Flu can still put you down hard and for some can still take your life. We don't have to say what the subject is for this edition. Just get ready to take some notes to keep yourself healthy this season. From the Colorado Department of Health and Environment with us is Dr. Rachel Herlihy, State Medical Director of the Division of Disease Control and Public Health Response. This Omicron dose is really replacing all follow-up doses for people 12 years of age and older. So people should get an Omicron dose after they have received a two-dose primary series of either that Pfizer or Moderna COVID-19 vaccine. And then people who previously received booster doses should also get an Omicron dose. So it's really, you have to have at least two doses on board, which is called the primary series. And then this Omicron new dose would be available to you, whether you've previously received uh, a booster dose or not. Um, Important to know, though, that it does need to be at least two months since your last dose. Now, you have to take your shot card then to make sure that the... uh... The, the people administering the immunization uh, know that you actually did have those two doses. Always great to do that. Certainly a good idea to maintain that record. Um, but your healthcare provider or pharmacy um, should also have the ability to look up your um, history of vaccinations in the state immunization registry. My first two from the VA, then my third one from uh, uh, Denver Department of Health. So I've got, you know, cards all over the place. (laughs) Where you're receiving your vaccines, they can consolidate those onto one card for you, if that's possible to have. Are we expecting to really have a a really another surge of uh, BA5 during the winter as soon as it arrives or, or, or late fall? And that's what we're really trying to prevent our additional infections because we're looking at that surge? Yeah, so difficult to know right now. Um, We know that the the greatest risk for a large surge would come from the possibility of a new variant emerging. That would present the greatest risk to us, but we also know that immunity is going to wane over time. We know that as we move into, you know, the colder weather months, people move indoors and risk patterns change. Um, And so, we certainly want to be prepared for the potential of a large wave of COVID-19. And I would add that, you know, while we are concerned about COVID-19 during this upcoming fall and winter respiratory season, we're also, of course, looking to influenza as a potential threat as well. And, and of course, um, folks should know that they can get both this Omicron booster dose and the influenza vaccine at the same time. 
Um, yeah, we're going to talk about flu in just a second as well. But will this booster also protect against future strains of Omicron? But Or maybe you just don't know what those are going to be. And somehow it may help some people, it may not in others. And so we may be looking at getting yet another shot in the future, too. Yeah, so one of the things that we have heard from the federal government is that, you know, it is quite possible that the way that we will receive COVID vaccines in the future will be similar to what we do with influenza right now, where the vaccine is updated every year and you get a new vaccine every year to sort of make sure that the vaccine we have and what we're stimulating our immune system with is closely matched to the virus that's circulating now. And so that certainly is a possibility for COVID-19 going forward. Um, and, and as far as the level of protection that this particular vaccine is going to offer, you know, against future strains of or variants of the, the virus, I think it's difficult to say, but we know that, you know, for the most part, this this virus is going to evolve linearly where the next strain or variant that we see is going to be more closely related to the virus that we have circulating now than the original. And so continuing to update the vaccine makes sense because whatever we have now is going to more closely resemble the the virus that's circulating now than than what we had two and a half years ago. And you are also expecting to see a reformulation for uh, youth 12 and under then too, the same way that was done with the first variant. So waiting for additional information right now um, on on what um, additional doses might look for in that population under 12. Um, for 12 and older, though, um, that's where we now have um, the Omicron doses available. So for people 12 and older, they can get the Pfizer Omicron, Omicron vaccine, yeah. and then people 18 and older can get the Moderna Omicron vaccine. Now, you know that there are people out there that, that are saying, OK, I'll get this other booster. That means I won't catch anything at all. Are we going to see any breakthrough infections after people uh, are, are inoculated with this booster, too? Vaccines in general, we know that they're not perfect, just like medications aren't perfect. And so we do expect there to be vaccine breakthrough cases that do occur. Um, of course, you know, really one of the most important things that these COVID-19 vaccines are doing is preventing severe illness. So, you know, preventing individuals from being hospitalized, preventing individuals from dying. And so while you may go on to develop an infection after being vaccinated, including after receiving an Omicron dose of a vaccine, um, the goal there is for that to be a mild infection instead of a a severe infection. Can this booster help those who may have long-term COVID effects, you know, like achiness and weakness and and brain fog? Yeah, the vaccine is really a preventive um, strategy. It's not going to be treatment. And so the goal is to prevent people from developing infections in the future and prevent people from going on to uh, potentially have long COVID. Um, So not um, really intended to be a treatment for people that have already been infected. Are you seeing any research that speaks to long COVID effects, how long it lasts, maybe in some people longer than others? Uh, Do some of the symptoms reoccur again? Brain fog, which may have gone away, does it come back? Do the aches come back? Yes, there is a lot of ongoing work uh, really trying to understand the, the breadth of long COVID and define it, really. I think there's a lot of work to be done to to understand what long COVID 
is and who is impacted, um, how long symptoms last. I think there's a wide variety of of illnesses and syndromes and symptoms um, that that people who are experiencing COVID-19 have. And so a ton of research is underway to try and better understand and define it. Um, Unfortunately, I think we still probably have as many probably still have more questions than we have answers right now. To get your Omicron BA5 booster, the state has opened 10 large sites across Colorado that can administer over 4,200 doses a day. Two are now open at the Ball Arena in Denver and at the Mesa County Community Services Building in Grand Junction. Sites are also open at the Citadel Mall in Colorado Springs and at Front Range Community College in Fort Collins. Also in the Denver metro area, You'll find sites in Federal Heights at Waterworld, in Longmont at Southwest Well County Services, and in Commerce City at Dick's Sporting Goods Park. Let me switch the monkeypox real quick, too. Um, I understand it's generally spread through personal contact, but intimate contact maybe is not the only way that you can, uh, you can receive a monkeypox infection then, just maybe by shaking hands. We know that the, the vast majority of cases are going to be transmitted through close physical contact. Um, uh-huh. We know that, you know, commonly um, associated with the current outbreak, there has been sexual activity associated as the main way that infections have been spread. Um, we don't believe that casual contact um, between individuals, you know, the sort of passing contact you might have with someone, you know, grocery store or otherwise, is really going to be a risk of of monkeypox transmission. So this is a very different virus um, compared to COVID-19 and all the things that we've learned about COVID-19. It's not spread in the same way easily from person to person. Yeah, I'm glad that you um, gave us that information because some of the things I've read, they said they were uh, iterating that when uh, maybe students come home from college, that families have to be wary because they could have had some contact there that they could spread to the family just by showing up and giving mom and dad a hug. I think also important to note that, you know, we think that the main way that this virus is going to be spread from person to person is by those skin lesions or sores or bumps that individuals are going to have. So direct contact skin-to-skin contact um, with the person that has those skin lesions. And so, you know, we don't think that asymptomatic spread, um, so someone who doesn't have any symptoms at all, is going to be uh, a common way that the virus is going to be transmitted from person to person. Can it be spread through touching clothing or bed linings of an infected person? Yes. So there has been um, documentation of transmission that has occurred that way and handling linens that might be soiled, so have come in contact with a person who has skin lesions um, and someone else handled those linens. That is certainly a way that um, the virus has been documented to be transmitted. Certainly not going to be a major route of transmission, but we do um, provide guidance and information on our website and CDC's website about how to appropriately handle Um, linens, laundry, towels, sheets, those types of things um, if someone is infected with monkeypox. How long does it take uh, monkeypox to run its course? Yeah, pretty variable from person to person. We know that the virus can be transmitted from one person to another um, through those 
infected skin lesions or, or bumps on the skin, um, really until those lesions are fully healed over and there's a, a new layer of skin over them. And, and that can be, you know, from two weeks to four weeks for certain people from the time when their um, infection first started. So it can be uh, long duration of time, um, but, but variable from person to person. So a person is only going to know that they have it with the, legion, with the lesions and the bumps. Is there any other way of, may, of knowing maybe you may have contracted it? Does it have symptoms like fever, headache, uh, you know, that kind of thing that flu and Omicron have? In addition to having the, you know, skin bumps, um, people can develop fever, um, swollen lymph nodes, other, you know, symptoms that can be flu-like symptoms, um, but those are developed together with the, the skin rash or bumps, um, so not in isolation, so you wouldn't see you know, just respiratory symptoms wouldn't be a way that monkeypox would commonly present. It would be together with the, the skin rash. Um, we do know that some people, certainly not everybody, but some people may have some of those flu-like symptoms um, ahead of the time that they develop the rash. We call it a prodrome. So yeah. for a short period of time, a couple of days before the rash appears, they might have um some of those nonspecific symptoms, but the, then they do later go on to develop the, the rash or skin bumps. Are we seeing an early start to the flu season? Switching uh, topics. So at this point, we haven't seen um, we haven't seen much in the way of influenza activity. Um, but it's really we typically say that flu season, the period of flu season, starts October first or so. Um, so we are are really getting our influenza. Um, tracking strategies in place now, um, and we know that certainly certain parts of uh, the Southern Hemisphere did experience an earlier and more severe influenza season than previous years, so that is certainly something that we are preparing for here in Colorado, um, but again, waiting to, to see um, what plays out in the, the next couple of weeks. Unfortunately, influenza is very unpredictable. But there is an annual process that the World Health Organization and CDC go through to select which strains of the influenza virus um, should be included for manufacturing of the influenza vaccine. And there are some updates to the influenza vaccine this year um, to, again, with the idea of trying to closely match the virus that is circulating. We thank Dr. Rachel Herlihy, State Medical Director, Division of Disease Control and Public Health Response with the Colorado Department of Health and Environment for being our guest on this edition. If you didn't get key info down, just visit the CDPHE website at, of course, cdphe.colorado.gov. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Get your vaccinations for your health and your family's safety. And we do appreciate you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.